Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, February 21st, 2022. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions. In our main segment, Jim finishes up the history of Epcot's Communicore attractions. Let's get started by bringing in the man whose mother said everything's going to be okay was a conspiracy theory. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? If, if we're a Disney show and we're talking conspiracy theories, so we got to spend just a moment, Len, talking about Disney on ice. <laughs> All right, good. Because <laughs> it turns out there literally is a place where this story starts. It's early 1967. And there's a reporter for the tabloid called the National Spotlight. And this was one of the the newspapers that was out there of, you know, of this period, kind of like uncensored, vice squad, kind of a step or two below the Inquirer. I was going to say, okay, the National Inquirer, but with fewer scruples. Well, there we go. <laughs> Unencumbered by ethics, we proceed on. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. But here's supposedly what was reported in the National Spotlight. A reporter did a piece for this tab that said that they had managed to sneak into St. Joseph's Hospital, which again is the hospital in Burbank directly across from Disney Studios, after Walt had passed away on December 15th, 1966. And the reporter supposedly disguises himself as an orderly, sneaks into a storage room, and sees the deceased Walt Disney suspended in a cryogenic metal cylinder. What's the scandalous part of the story, Jim? I mean, we all know this happened. It's fact, right? <laughs> well. No? This is from Diane Disney Miller in 1972. There is absolutely no truth to the rumor that my father, Walt Disney, wished to be frozen. I doubt that my father had ever heard uh, of cryonics. Supposedly, both Walt and Roy's grandchildren were ridiculously teased about this issue in school uh -huh. when the story became prevalent in the 60s and 70s. So here's what Abigail, Roy E's daughter, has to say about the situation. Uh -huh. We didn't have him in an ice cube tray in the freezer, not frozen, was at the funeral. Remember it very well. On the one hand, Jim, there's no reason for any of the family members to lie. But number two, <laughs> if there was a cover-up, isn't yep. this exactly what you would expect them to say? The one little <laughs> bend on the story, and the thing that I think kept it going, is that Ward Kimball, who was famous for his pranks at Disney Studio, oh. uh, and he's the guy, remember, who did the Man in Space stuff. He was very into yeah. the, the scientific part of it. So whenever Ward would get asked... He had the classic non-denial denial. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, That's what I would do. What? I can neither confirm nor deny that Walt's head is currently in the basement of, uh, you know, uh, 1401 Flower Street. Ward would say things to the effect, well, look, Walt was always intensely interested in things scientific. And more than any person I know, he would have been intrigued by this sort of experiment. So it's like, thank you for putting a little more gas in the tank there, Ward. Of course, Ward was also the guy who was famous who, for example, they bring a bright-eyed new Disney interns through the Imaginary Cafeteria mm -hmm. as part of an orientation tour. And Ward would see them from across the room and stand up and shout, Walt's dead! You missed him! <laughs> <laughs> so, kind of... <laughs> I, think, uh, I, think, I think, Jim, what... Uh... What, what the conspiracy theory about Walt's head needs. And and let me just say, if uh, mm -hmm. if Benjamin from- um, Benjamin Lancaster, yes. From Walt's yes. person, if he's listening, mm -hmm. I'm just going to throw out this song idea, at which I am proposing the title of 
we don't talk about cryo. <laughs> I'm sorry. My one caveat, if we go forward with that, is for the sing-along version, we should have to follow Walt's bouncing head. Oh, of course. I mean, I can. I'm, I'm already sketching out the video right now. <laughs> Here we go. And that's going to do it for our show today. No, just kidding. There we go. All right. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, GNeese42, SassyBrit79, and ShawY1269. And longtime subscribers, Mitch22622, Bill Merle, and MClass68. Jim, these folks are responsible for helping Toy Story's Little Green Men get acclimated into society once they're picked up by the claw and dropped into a guest's hands. The good news is that by strange coincidence, the Valhalla-like existence promised in the Little Green Men's religion looks a lot like rural Indiana, so it's not a difficult transition. True story. We are eternally grateful. (laughs) All right, Jim, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of this Disney Dish podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, as a reminder, you and I are doing our first ever Disney Dish cruise this year. We're calling it the Disney Dish on the Disney Wish. Mm -hmm. The dates are September 23rd through the 26th. It's a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Uh, maybe a Monday out of Port Canaveral, three nights, mm-hmm. so it's as portable as possible. We do have four cabins left, two balcony, Ooh. one ocean view, one inside. If you guys want to come on the cruise, it's going to be a hoot. Storybookdestinations.com slash Disney Dish. Also, Jim, uh, we're going to talk next week about all of the new stuff that Disney has announced for The Wish. We will. All right. In other news, Jim, you saw that uh, Disney World has increased ticket prices this week. Yeah. We expected it. The Swallows return to Capistrano, Disney raises ticket prices, you know, it's just <laughs> it's a sign East, yeah. of spring. There we go. So one to three day base tickets didn't change. One to two day mm-hmm. upgraded tickets. So like the Park Hopper and the Park Hopper mm-hmm. Plus didn't change. Multi-day tickets went up roughly three to 6%, which is mm-hmm. about what we expect every year. I mean, in general, it's three to 5% every year. So nothing uh, unexpected there. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, Disney announced that the after hours event DVC Moonlight Madness is coming back to Epcot in March. So if you're a DVC member, look out for an email with all the details on that soon. And Jim, speaking of returns, rumor has it that Victorian Alberts is eyeing a summer return. Have you heard this? No, but this is great news. Yeah, so the, uh, the key there, uh, mm-hmm. I am told, and I didn't hear this directly from anyone involved, but my, mm-hmm. my understanding of the, the bat signal that mm-hmm. uh, it will be opening is when um, Israel who mm-hmm. is uh, running Citricos when he returns mm-hmm. to VNA, which I don't know, hypothetically might happen in, in April. Again, all speculation didn't actually talk to Israel. But if it happens in April, you know, then we're looking at a summer uh, return for VNA. The, the big question is I don't know if that's enough time for Disney to get reviewed by uh, the guide Michelin to be included in Michelin reviews. Because remember, uh, Michelin's doing Florida restaurants. Mm-hmm. for the first time this year. So if anyone in the food industry uh, in Central Florida knows how far in advance they typically schedule out these reviews, let me know and I can uh, do it. I, I think they really need to be in this, in this edition because it's going to come out, it's going to get so much press mm-hmm. for being the first time it's in Florida that if Disney isn't there, it's going to look odd. Right? Yeah, but at the same time, uh, given that we're coming out of a pandemic. Yeah, could be next year, yeah. It would be great if it could happen, but at the same time, it's Victoria and Albert. I mean, you know, people are scrambling. We, yeah, well, no, it's good. Get, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing, too. I mean, it'd be great if it was in there because it would mm-hmm. tell people who have never been to Florida 
before that uh, there's a really good restaurant in Walt Disney World, but by the same token, it's not like they're not going to sell out every day as soon as they reopen, right? So I get it. Also, uh, other rumor, Jim, is that the Galactic Star Cruiser media event is February 24th and 25th. So it's this week. There are two sides to the media event. Have you heard this? You were making me aware, but please share. So smaller media outlets and podcasts get half a day of playing around in the hotel and then half a day of interviewing Imagineers. That's all on the 24th. Um, larger media outlets get the full two-day experience, including overnight uh, in the hotel. So because some people are doing some stuff on the 24th, some people are doing stuff on the 24th and 25th, the media embargo lifts on the 25th. And my guess is that's in the afternoon. Just as a reminder for everyone to, uh, who's listening, the only way you get on these lists is if you work for the New York Times or Disney thinks almost certainly that you're going to write very positive things about it. So expect all of the stuff that you read this week to be breathless love letters to free travel. And the question you should be asking these people, right? The people that write these things, right? The question mm-hmm. that you should be asking them is, have you put down $5,000 of your own money to do this again? And if the answer is no, mm-hmm. then you know it wasn't worth it. And as the follow-up question, so, so which was the room that Han and Leia, Jim, you know, the honeymoon? You know. <laughs> you've, you've opened up a can of worms inside a rabbit hole, and now we're going to go down it. Okay, so... For, for listeners who aren't familiar with what Jim just said, one of the playtesters that I was speaking to a couple weeks ago said mm-hmm. that as one of the storylines in the Star Cruiser is that Kylo Ren was mm-hmm. actually conceived on the Halcyon, the, the, the galactic Star Cruiser. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was odd because, number one, ew. Number two, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> number two it's a very <laughs> specific thing to say in that particular environment. So, um, and it came out this week, somebody, and I, so I've known this for a while, that this mm-hmm. is a plot point, right? It came out this week that it is actually an official plot point. Well, uh, the, it's a book that will be coming out this summer called The Princess and the Scoundrel. Right. And so, you know, it, it will be canon because it's coming out in an officially sanctioned Star Wars book. But what Disney had not counted on was the fan community coming back. And again, just a collective, ew, you know, just sort yeah. of like, yeah. no. Didn't need to know this. And and that's the other thing that is very concerning about Disney going into this media event next week is Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is being nibbled to death by ducks every week. There's a story where people go, eh, you know, oh, did you see the horrible video that Disney then pulled yeah. down? That we actually, we actually a- have a, a survey that I want to talk mm-hmm. about when we get to the survey thing, and then we'll tease off of that. But you're right. Like mm-hmm. the, the stuff that's coming out, like the only thing that I've heard that mm-hmm. people say is uniformly great is the food. But I did hear from other play testers about mm-hmm. the amount of food coloring in the food as well. So it's mm-hmm. uh, so again, your digestive system becomes a rainbow factory. That's fine. <laughs> it, it apparently is actually a thing. The, um, but the concern I have about this Kylo Ren mm-hmm. being conceived is, number one, according to other people on Twitter, it doesn't fit the already established timeline in the canon. Mm-hmm. Right. So now Disney's retconning, so mm-hmm. retroactive continuity. Mm-hmm. Those of you, Disney's retconning its own canon just for the Galactic Star Cruiser. It reminds me of that line in Clueless, right? Stop mm-hmm. trying to make fetch a thing, <laughs> right? Stop trying so hard, dude. Have you heard about the wild Africa trek plan for, for Galactic Star Cruiser? Is this really a thing? This is really a thing. No, go ahead. I haven't heard this at all. Uh, okay. If it involves Joe Rody, I'm in. Well, no, it's, it's actually, think about, (laughs) (laughs) think about what Wild Africa Trek is. It's making use of a section 
of the Africa savanna oh, that doesn't oh, get used. Right. And it's above a lot of the exhibits. So you're thinking that you could be on the second floor of Batu, Galaxy's Edge. Well, no, actually it's, you know, in fact, what's fascinating is evidently there are industrial engineers who are working on this issue right now. The notion is that during the portion of the galactic star cruise experience where people have left the star cruiser and gone down to the surface of Batu to begin their interactive adventure around Black Spire Outpost, mm -hmm. this is the time when the cleaning crew is going through, they're doing the reset on the physical hotel. And the thinking is, now, wait a minute, it's empty. And we have this whole series of Star Wars fans who may have balked at the $5,000 price point, but would be perfectly happy to pay two to $300 to get on the Galactic Star Cruiser for a two or three hour experience to walk through, maybe have a little food, that sort of thing, and then return to the surface. Yeah. I know why they, okay, now that you've explained, I understand why they're uh, uh, contingency planning for this. We'll talk about mm -hmm. it. Yep. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll wait till we get to the survey here. Okay. Uh, in other news, uh, two more things, Jim. Uh, number one, mm -hmm. Disney dropped its indoor mask mandate at all U.S. parks. If you are mm -hmm. vaccinated, so if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. If you're unvaccinated, it's the honor system. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll go from there. Okay. The other interesting thing is that, uh, uh, Jim, you saw this because uh, we just talked about it before the show. Disney announced its next planned community called Story Living in Rancho Mirage, California. And the way that they, uh, they introduced this is, as more and more fans look for new ways to make Disney a bigger part of their lives, our company today announced plans to introduce Story Living by Disney, vibrant new neighborhoods that are infused with the company's special brand of magic. These master plan communities are intended to inspire residents to foster new friendships, pursue their interests, and write the next exciting chapter in their lives. All right. So have you seen the site plans for this, Jim? Yeah. Please share your thoughts because I, I have my own. So 618 acres is fairly large. Um, mm -hmm. It does revolve around a large lake in the desert, which mm -hmm. Southern California is in the middle of like a 1200 year drought. Yes. Yeah. I mean, this was just announced this week by climate scientists. The greatest crisis that, that California has faced in 1200 years, yeah. largely on the back of ill thought out development by man. Right. And it's this precise week that Disney drops concept art for a community built around an artificial lake. It's like oh, yeah. the tin ear I know, at I Disney know. these days just is so startling. When you buy a house, you know, and you're mm. thinking, you know, 30 years out for your mortgage and stuff like that, you really mm. have to start thinking about what climate change does yeah. to these homes. Because I was in Palm Springs, which is mm. adjacent to Rancho Mirage. It's I mean, literally down the, down the road, right? From, mm -hmm. from, Palm, from Palm Springs mm. last summer. And it was 121 degrees and the air conditioning couldn't keep up, which means two things. One, you're using a ton of electricity most of which comes from either wind or hydro from the, mm -hmm. you know, from the uh, Hoover Dam. Um, mm -hmm. And number two, the, you know, people living there take up a lot of water and they're all downstream from the Colorado, right? The Colorado <sighs> and, and California mountains provide the vast majority of water to Southern California. The problem with it coming from the Colorado River you know, down into California is there are a whole bunch of states upstream from that mm -hmm. who, when the water starts to run low in a few years, will not care one bit about Disney's Plain community in California. And no. will only be concerned about themselves. No. 
I get the whole concept. I mean, yeah. if we see the, the, the trend lines for where the company's going and how they're especially cultivating their relationships with the deep-pocketed customers, coupled with the success of Golden Oaks at, yeah. at Walt Disney World. But let me just point out one issue. Golden Oaks is now on, what, phase five? Five, phase, yeah. Okay. People happily buy million dollar homes at golden oaks because of the close proximity to the disney theme parks i mean right. they're on property it's a five minute drive away i mean hell they're closer than you know when celebration was built back in the mid 90s where i'm actually recording this podcast from because i live there but yeah okay there we go okay yeah, right. yeah. But i'm not against about- disney plane communities i mean i live in one right <laughs> yeah yeah again i get that there are people who i want to story live in in a disney planned community but Where's the added benefit? I mean, yes, you're just down the street from Gerald Ford and Bob Hope Drive, but where's the Disney theme park? The extra added incentive that's going to make the diehard Disney fan buy. It's uh, it's two hours northwest. It's uh, Uh it's Disneyland. Yeah, that's a little concerning. But I mean, Rancho Mirage, Palm Springs, those are great areas anyway, right? I mean, I I go there every year without needing Mm -hmm. to go to uh, to Disneyland. I'm okay with with that part of it. I'm really concerned about the... uh, you know, 30 years from now, what the environment looks like in Southern California. Same thing here. By the way, have you seen the site plans? Please continue. So a lot of the street maps look like they came directly from Celebration in Florida. And in fact, there's even a water street, which is the street (laughs) I live on on Celebration, that is configured exactly (laughs) like the water street in Celebration. So Jim, as I pitched this to Laurel, because I honestly God did, I signed Mm -hmm. up for information as soon as it became available. I'm like, look, baby, we could move to California and we only have to change one line of our address. Like, that's a win. (laughs) Okay. I have to say, given the U.S. Postal System misplaces so much of my mail, just to give it, oh, I'm sorry. That letter went to your Florida address. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's that's quite all right. That's quite all right. All right. Let's do some surveys, Jim. So we uh, we Mm -hmm. talked earlier about the Galactic Star Cruiser. Our Mm -hmm. friend Eric got a survey from Disney about how committed he is to his upcoming Galactic Star Cruiser stay. And let me just say, Jim, although I have booked to stay for March 1st, mm-hmm. uh, I have received absolutely none of the pre-trip media that it's going out. No videos, no emails, no nothing. I can mm-hmm. see it all in my MDE, but I'm not getting any of the extra stuff. Also, mm-hmm. our own Guy Selga pointed out for this survey that I'm about to read, there's a pre-survey question that asks you what your occupation is. If you say travel writer or media or blogger, the survey <laughs> ends and you don't get to see any of the questions, which is, which is crazy, right? Because I would have probably answered that. And I wouldn't have gotten the survey, but Disney was happy to take my money and didn't ask me a damn thing about what I did for a living, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Anyway, okay. rant over. All right. Mm-hmm. So the first question is, which of the following best describes how actively you intend to participate in the immersive story? And there are three choices. Mm-hmm. Full participation. I want to actively participate in the interactive story as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Participate some and just watch it other times, which mm-hmm. means I want to participate in the interactive story sometimes, but I want to take some breaks. Mm-hmm. And then the third option is I only want to watch. I don't want to participate. I'd prefer not to have any interactive participation in the story, and I'd rather just observe it. So, Jim, my sense here is that this question came out of playtesting, right? Oh yes. And they know then that there, you know, some people are introverts, some people are extroverts. Mm-hmm. They want to see where they're going there. And I think, I think one of the questions here is there is do we have enough critical mass mm-hmm. to move the story along? Like if there's a if there's a key story point. Mm-hmm. where X has to happen, mm-hmm. but you don't have enough people participating in X for it to happen. How does that affect the storyline? I think that's the question here. 
The next one is, please indicate your level of certainty around traveling for your upcoming Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser reservation. And the, there are four options. I am fully committed. We are definitely going to keep our reservation. I'm somewhat committed. I'm not very committed. And I am not at all committed. We are planning to cancel. If you say anything other than fully committed, you get this question. Um, which of the following, if any, need to happen for you to be fully committed to your trip? Number one, I or my travel party need to feel that we're comfortable traveling to Orlando at that time. Uh, we need to change in the mask policy at Walt Disney World. We need to know if it's worth it. We need to hear testimonials or reviews from others who've experienced it. Mm -hmm. Another date better fits my schedule if it becomes available. I need more details about the experience. I need to secure time off from work and other. And the one that, uh, that our friend Eric checked was I need testimonials or reviews from others who's, who've experienced it. So Eric, mm -hmm. you will get that in about two weeks. Mm -hmm. and, and so my sense, Jim, is here is this. Mm -hmm. If you say that you're not certain mm -hmm. and you're waiting to hear what other people say about it after they've experienced it, Disney knows that some people are going to cancel based mm -hmm. on that. And I think the next question after that, which is in the survey, is telling. Mm -hmm. right? So if you're not going to do the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser, how important was the Star Cruiser in your trip planning to Orlando and Central Florida? It's the primary reason for my visit. It's one of many reasons I'm visiting and there's little to no influence on why I'm planning. So my sense is, Jim, is that Disney's going to be able to say, if you're uncertain, you're waiting for testimonials, and it's the primary reason for uh, me to visit Orlando, Central Florida, Disney's going to categorize or put those people in a bucket that says, let's not count on this money. Does it shock you that we are getting this survey out there? I mean, no, it never. No, I've heard, I've heard from playtesters like in the last week that mm -hmm. it's, it's all fun. The hotel is nice. The character interactions are fun. The food is great. Everyone has said that. But everyone, every single person that I talked to said mm -hmm. it's not worth the $5,000. And let me point out, it's five to $12,000 on some of these, right? So, and I think that's what I, I, I'm 99% sure that mm -hmm. this survey is because Disney's hearing that. Look, every individual element is fine. You're just charging way too much for it. And so that's what I think is happening here. Once it gets out, mm -hmm. once things like that get out into the public and mm -hmm. Disney starts to see cancellations, what they're trying to do here is, I think, estimate the impact of what those negative reviews are going to be like. Okay, so on a parallel track, suddenly this wild Africa trek idea suddenly makes sense. That you know, if we're getting <laughs> what, these, what do we do with this white elephant that we built? You want to go up and take a look around? It'll be two hundred dollars. Yeah, and that I, I I would not be surprised to hear um, about more of those things. But yeah, mm -hmm. look, like I said, everyone thinks you know, the hotel is nice. Again, mm -hmm. food. Everyone I've heard the uh, who's experienced the food, and I've had some of it, is mm -hmm. at least as good as anything else on Disney property. Some of it's very good. Character mm -hmm. interactions would be great. The big question is the price. All right, Jim, let's do some, uh, some listener questions here. Certainly. It's from Nathan, who says, Hello, I thought I'd write in and add myself to the list of rocket scientist listeners who enjoy the Disney Dish podcast. While I'm not a rocket scientist, I am a cast member at Mission Space. So that counts. Totally does, Nathan. Um, I'll pass on a bit of trivia for the people that enjoy riding Mission Space. The big gravity wheel in our queue is actually a set piece from the movie Mission to Mars. Awesome. Thank you, Nathan. That's great. Something left over from the Brian De Palma film. So cool, cool. That's fantastic. All right. Here's a letter from Sean who says, with Remy opening, I'm eager to hear some of the area music when some of the Epcot background music loops or mega mixes on YouTube will be updated on their music feeds. On that note, I'm wondering if you know anything about the people who do these or the process involved. 
I assume it's more complicated than walking around the parks and sticking a microphone behind every bush and trash can, but you never know, right? So Sean, right? So in back in the day, right? So I've been collecting theme park music for 30 years. In the old days, on the internet, it was a lawless Wild West type of place where source audio from a lot of the, uh, the attractions was freely available uh, on the internet. And Google here is your friend, right? I can't tell you where to go, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the newer stuff might actually come directly from Disney source audio too. Or it could be that audio production of the last three decades is so much better now that everything just sounds better. My sense is though, most of this stuff comes from source audio. And you know, this is people who are working on it you know, around mm-hmm. the country who might just make a copy for themselves and then just you know, save it. But if there's something specific you're looking for, Sean, um, Google that um, mm-hmm. you know, with the word MP3 at the end and, uh, and see what you find. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's one from Brian who says, um, writing as the husband of the main Disney planner in the family, does the Disney World app only work for one family per account? I'm perplexed at the strategy or lack thereof to make the Disney World app critical to most everything you do at Disney, but tie it to one username only. Is Disney aware of families? So, so here's the issue, right? Brian wants everyone in his family to be able to use the same account on MDE to say what's going on. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that as soon as you sign in on a second device, it signs you off of the first device. So you can't share accounts across devices. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, that is the issue. Uh, and you know, what Disney wants there, Brian, is Disney wants everyone to have their own accounts mm-hmm. and to use MDE separately. And the main reason for that is that they collect more data on individuals than they do families. That certainly makes sense. But at the same time, when you think about a family travels yeah. and the notion of we want to stay in touch and we want to make plans together, and it's like, that's got to have been part of the decision tree, right? I think so, yeah. I mean, it's actually easier to just say, look, uh, have everyone use the same account, right? It's less programming, stuff like mm-hmm. that. But you do collect less data on individuals who do something different from the rest mm-hmm. of the group. And I think that's why Disney wants that. Okay. The other thing too could be um, if you're sharing with your family members and there are kids involved, mm-hmm. kids can make purchases if they're and if they're on, if they're using their parents' account, their parents mm-hmm. might not want that to happen. So you might want to mm-hmm. set up different roles, security mm-hmm. roles for people, and that's why that's another reason why you would have different accounts. For a family. Okay, I get that. All right, last one from Charles, who says uh, our family stayed at Beach Club the second week of December, and we had a blast. I actually loved Harmonious and the planning and gamesmanship of Genie Plus. So sue me. All right, fine. <laughs> it was by no means empty, but the crowds were manageable if you knew what you're, you were doing. Mm-hmm. My hope is to return in 2023 to get a break from the dark New Jersey winter, preferably around my birthday, which is in February. Conventional wisdom used to say that late January and early February were among the slowest times, and we've taken advantage of that in past years. But is that no longer the case? Judging by the crowd calendar, the time is going to be pretty busy in 2023. Yeah, so, um, so Charles, this February has already been much busier than we expected, and we're just now starting President's Day week. I think part of that is that Omicron suppressed travel and travel planning in December and January. We think by anywhere from 20% to 40%. So mm-hmm. a decent chunk. And let's face it, you know, because of that, we're all so crazy to travel right now that mm-hmm. the rapid drop in Omicron case numbers is as good a sign as anything that we've seen that it's okay to head to Florida. So I think a lot of people are planning last minute trips right now. It'll probably be more stable in February. And I think President's Day and Mardi Gras is later. You're going the first week in February next year. Mardi Gras and President's Day are later than that. So yeah, February 4th, February, early February should be, yeah, not bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, would, I would still plan on that. He's still flying out of Jersey in February. Also, yeah, right. So I was, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I've been here about a week and Laurel's coming down uh, you know, in a couple of days to hang out for a little bit between school sessions. 
And mm-hmm. when I left New York, it was 16 degrees. Mm-hmm. Today, Jim, it will be 87 in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I may not leave. I may not go back to New York. I don't know why I need to. (laughs) It sounds kind of redundant. Yeah. Okay. We've we've got theme parks. We've got sunshine. Why? Mm -hmm. Why? Why would I go anywhere else? Anyway. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim finishes up the story of Epcot's Communicorp, which closed on January 31st, 1994 to make way for interventions. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Jim, last week we reminisced about the old video screen travel port part of the American Express experience in, in Communicore where you could make dinner reservations by talking to a live human being over a video phone. And I don't know how much email you got about that specific thing, Jim, mm-hmm. but I got a ton of mail from people who absolutely loved it. Yeah. I mean, thanks again for suggesting the series because in a weird sort of way, it made me kind of fall back in love with Epcot again because yeah. it's easy to get cynical about Epcot. You know, there was the city that Walt wanted to make, and then there was the, you know, the park that opened, and then the park that changed once Eisner arrived and all. But to, to get to this moment in, in the fall of 82 and everything was new and, you know, they were really hopeful about the place and just to see the chunks that survived. We were just talking about the build your own coaster thing that was yeah. in the Epcot computer central thing by, from Sperry. But when we left off last week, Spaceship Earth is in the 12 o'clock position. We're now at the two o'clock position. We're again, we've exited the travel port. We're now headed over to Exxon's Energy Information Exchange. And this is where the Imagineers set up 15 to 20 different uh, hands-on displays, which are supposed to address any questions that visitors to Epcot Center might still have after they've exited Future World's Universe of Energy Pavilion. Okay. Because a lot of those questions are somewhat problematic. The Imagineers knew they needed a distraction in this area. Again, something that would pull people away from Exxon's. There's absolutely nothing wrong with coal. Please ignore all those miners who are dying of black lung at the age of 50. So this is why you get an interactive robot like Smart Alec. Please note that as late as the summer of 82, that was the name of this Epcot Center character. Smart Alex, that's A-L, or capital A-L, dash X, not smart one. And this communicator exhibit was was designed to demonstrate how computers were able to understand or respond to uh, human speech. In fact, here's the official description of the Smart Alex show from, from that time period. Guests are introduced to a lovable robot who plays various games, as such as number guessing, where a guest picks a number and, and Smart Alex uh, responds to human speech through the use of voice recognition which then denotes whether a player has said yes or no to the robot's questions. And evidently, Walt Disney World managers got cold feet when it came to calling this communicator display Smart Alex, worrying that visitors to the resort would get the wrong idea and somehow be offended because a Smart Alecky robot had beat them at a number game. <laughs> I remember this. Yeah, yeah. So that's, again, why they changed the name to Smart One. And speaking of Smart One, 
I don't know if you saw the, the photos from earlier this week with the thousands upon thousands of figment popcorn buckets that were yes. amassed in the world showplace for distribution through an app. And they're already sold out again. Well, uh, you know, obviously huge success. So the folks who are prepping next year's Festival of the Arts are already wondering, okay, how do we top the figment popcorn bucket? And so they are already looking for a possible uh, character, a nostalgic character to bring back. And supposedly what they're considering is a smart one popcorn bucket. Oh, it's a good shape for popcorn. Absolutely. But the interesting, and it's interesting you mentioned shape because the burying the needle in the exact opposite direction, because when the Festival of the Arts 2023 comes around, by then, finally, the Journey of Water, inspired by Moana, will be open. And the other figure they are considering is a Maui yeah. popcorn. And, but again, same thing, because of his bulky shape. It's like, okay, you can fill that with a lot of popcorn. And the popcorn's cheap, so it, but it'd be look, it would be big enough to look like a good value to people who are buying it. That makes total sense. There you go. But yeah. it's just the, the question of, do you tie it to the hit film franchise, or do you tie it to Epcot nostalgia? And mm. just to be interesting to see how this shakes out. I mean, for all we know, it could be uh, something in Canto theme, too. We don't know. This is true. Okay. All right. Anyway. All right. So anyway, continuing along the clock phase, on the other side of Exxon's energy information exchange is the Stargate restaurant. Oh, yes. Fast food counter service, which thanks to its six registers it had parked out front, could handle upwards of 1,400 guests an hour. And I, I think they had culled all of this research from the Magic Kingdom and determined that it, when it came to Epcot, the peak Food hours are what, 10 a.m. to 2 and then 5 to 8? Yeah, it's really like right? 11, 11 to 2, and it actually peaks at 12.30. Like, we've got internal okay. Disney documentation that shows mm -hmm. what it is, yeah. Okay. And then around 6.30 for dinner? There we go. Okay, supposedly at that peak time, the park must be able to feed 6,000 people an hour to mm. stay ahead of demand. And so if you think about it, Stargate was designed to handle almost a quarter of that demand all by itself. Right. So, and then you had Sunshine Seasons Food Fair in the same part of the park on the opposite side. That you did. Handles you a did. bunch of people too. Okay, cool. Same that makes thing. Sense. And that was, um, uh, it turned into Electric Umbrella eventually, right? It did. It yeah. did. In fact, what was funny is just yesterday, somebody noted that, you know, this time in 1994 was when the electric, the day the electric umbrella closed. Ah, sad. I liked, I liked the space. I don't think, mm -hmm. think the food was particularly compelling, but the fact no. that you could sit upstairs in Epcot mm -hmm. yep. was, uh, was nice. It, it was, it was a quirky sort of interesting space that I, I didn't mind. Like I said, food wasn't great and the mm -hmm. ordering system was a little bit difficult. But, uh, mm -hmm. but overall, I, you know, I, I enjoyed eating there. And if we continue through this space, we step outside of the Stargate restaurant. We now have the breezeway, the giant open doorway space between the southwestern quadrant and the southeastern quadrant. And this was to allow guests to effectively pass through into the central courtyard of Future World and encounter the Fountain of Nations mm -hmm. in a theme park that has the leapfrog fountains and the upside down waterfall in front of the imagination pavilion. Right. The fact that, you know, it, I mean, this is, you know, an oval 180 feet long, 120 feet wide and shoots water 30 feet in the air. I mean, it, it's nice, but it's not necessarily dramatic. 
But anyway, we continue across the breezeway and we enter the Centorium, uh, a merch area with over 10,000 square feet, which back in 82, Len, was dedicated to the toys of the future. Ooh. Epcot Centorium, obviously a rift on the Emporium over the Magic Kingdom, which is the most popular store at that theme park. And so you take 21st century uh, version of Emporium, smash those two words together, and you get Centorium. By the way, uh, when Epcot opened, it had 34 merchandise locations. And of those 34 merchandise locations, 30% of the merch, coffee cups, t-shirts, were plastered with the Epcot logo. Everything else, uh, 70% of the merch, was tied to the location and what that particular pavilion, or whether it's international or future world, the story that they were telling. Wow. The Imagineers, again, took everything they learned from the kingdom and applied that to Epcot. So the Centorium, if you think about it, as you're exiting the park, in much the same way the Emporium is on the right-hand mm-hmm. side because as you're exiting, because 90% of the public is right-handed, yeah. that's yeah. what they did with the Centorium as well. Wow. I didn't realize that, but that's exactly the way it is, isn't it? That's it. That is. And even today. It's funny that you mentioned how, um, how site-specific the merchandise was because Chris and I were running through the Animal Kingdom the other day. Mm-hmm. And I was mm-hmm. like, I, I wonder if we can find Star Wars stuff in the Animal Kingdom, which was, mm-hmm. which was my sort of attempt to find the least relevant Disney mm-hmm. IP for the park I was in. Mm-hmm. And it turns out you can find Star Wars stuff in the Animal Kingdom. Really? So, yeah, you really can. Yeah. Wow, I did not know that. No. Oh. Okay, continuing on, just south of the Centurion is the Electronic Forum. This is what the Imaginators honestly thought was going to put Epcot on the map. They had this place inside of Epcot where you as an individual could go in and make your your opinions known on uh, the events of the day. Trends, you know, what's going on with little figures. I mean, they had state-of-the-art interactive technology here designed to grab people's opinion. Yeah. I mean, if if you actually got inside, it was called the Future Choice Theater. (laughs) They could do real-time responses as to what the people had voted on in the theater. They could then compare what had been voted on to what the people previously during the day had said, then stack that data on top of what historically had been put across it. And the notion at Disney is they thought for sure that in much the same way as, say, the Pew Institute or Reuters would do its polls. Right. This is what's going to put Epcot on the map. We'll have tens of thousands of people a day coming through the Future World Theater, and we'll have real-time data that we can share with network news and radio. And in fact, for phase two of Epcot, there was a plan to build an on-site broadcast facility, TV studio, a radio studio, that was going to be deliberately designed to share all of this info that got gathered at Electronic Forum. And to give you some idea of how much Disney believed in this idea, there there is an employee forum that's held in June of 1983. And Carl Beringdo, uh, who was the then president of WED, okay. and a, an employee update explains, oh, by the way, we're bringing this to the West Coast. We are going to shut down the mission to Mars at Disneyland and put a West Coast version of Electronic Forum and the Future World Theater in there. So we can be gathering data not only from the East Coast, but we can gathering you know data from the West Coast. And this was 1983? June of 1983. Okay. At this same forum, 
Carl mentions that, oh, by the way, we're going to shut down Adventures Through Inner Space, and we're going to put, uh, that's going to be changed to a 3D theater, and that's where Magic Journeys, the movie from Imagination, is going to be going to repurpose for the West Coast. Which, by the way, they did eventually do the following year in June of 84, but kind of an interesting bend on the storyline. They showed it outdoors in the Tomorrowland Theater. They had to wait till dusk every night. But they actually took out full-page ads in the Los Angeles Times, the effect of, direct from Epcot, come see Magic Journeys after dusk at Disneyland. Wow. Yep. Magic Journeys wasn't bad. I remember it as, I mean, it's it's on YouTube, too. That was the, uh, as a 3D film, it wasn't bad. But again, if you look at it today, it's just sort of like, wow, there isn't a single Disney IP in this, you know. It's just kids frolicking around a field, yeah. Magic Journeys. Yeah, we go. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, didn't have like a weird bossa nova sort of rhythm to it. To really enjoy the film, it cried out for medication. <laughs> Again, you know, electronic form is going to put Disney on the map. It's going to make people take Epcot seriously because they're going to do these great polls. Why doesn't that happen? It turns out, Len, that people who are on vacation aren't that interested in current events. You also got to remember, this is the early 80s. We're not all tied to our cell phones, so we're, we're not up to date on, on what's going on in the world while we're in Florida. They'd get people in the, the Future Choice Theater, and they, they'd ask them, do you have an opinion about the coup that just happened in Sierra Le- Leone? And you know, the, the initial response was, well, there was two responses. There was a coup in Sierra Leone, or and where's Sierra Leone? <laughs> exactly. You guys got a map that you can point, point me to on this? <laughs> Remember the Epcot Person of the Century poll that got oh, derailed yeah, yeah. by the cast members voting for their favorite Epcot host? That's when the Imagineers learned that all of their state-of-the-art equipment could be so easily derailed by just yeah. bored cast members. And it was yeah. like, so that, that whole idea just, just went down the tubes. Yeah, it's a shame. All right, you had mentioned the Sunshine Terrace restaurant, which again, just on the other side of Community Core from Future Forum. If we now continue through the breezeway there, we now end up at FutureCom, which is presented by the Bell System, who, by the way, were the original sponsors of Spaceship Earth, Epcot's thesis attraction. And and FutureCom, you know how the uh, Exxon Energy Information Exchange thing was supposed to answer questions that guests had after they experienced the universe of energy. Right. This was kind of the equivalent for, for Spaceship Earth. The notion, if you had any further questions about the history of communication or where the future of communication was going, this is where you'd find those exhibits. And making use of that whole 90% of the population being right-handed, mm-hmm. that's why FutureCom was positioned here. That as people exited uh, Spaceship Earth, uh, this would often be... Right, like the next thing that they went to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's to, it, exactly. They, yeah. they drift across the street into this space. And weren't there, weren't there games set up here? Like, Because um, it was AT&T, and AT&T did a lot of technology stuff back in the day. Weren't there, there, were, there were technology-related games here. Like, I remember one was like, convert this four-digit binary number to decimal, which, I don't know, kids... <laughs> you know, back in the 80s, that was entertainment for us. <laughs> Hand me that abacus. <laughs> exactly. This was, in fact, the space. And in fact, you know, we're back to Smart Alex, Smart One again, recognizing that, wow, this is very educational in here. We need to get some entertainment in. This was also supposed to be the space where the Tron Arcade was supposed to be built. 
And it was fairly late when this project got cut. I, I want to say it was August of 1982. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not entirely true, Len. I mean, yes, the money that had been set aside to build the Tron Arcade was reassigned. But then there was the matter of the sign that had actually been created to note that, you know, this is the future site of the Tron Arcade. I mean, this thing was three feet long and nine feet wide, prominently featured a, a piece of concept art for Flynn's Arcade. And it's like, Mm. well, what do we do with this? And it's like, well, just put it where we were going to build it, and we won't mention that we're not going to build it. So I had no less than three people send me photos of this sign for the Tron Arcade, which which read, what's in a game? Lasers, simulators, robotics. Enter the extraordinary new world of electronic micromagic. Coming Mm. soon, the Tron Arcade. There were a a number of signs around Epcot for things that ultimately never got built. Like, did you ever see any images from the sign for the the Israel Pavilion? You know, where the old meets the new in the land of the Bible? Yeah. And we thought for a while that they were going to do one. I mean, I think, wasn't it in one of the Epcot books? Oh, yeah. 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 Same thing with the Spain Pavilion. Spain, Russia. Let's discover this golden land of Segovia, Cervantes, and Picasso, as well as Epcot's Equatorial Africa Pavilion. We should probably circle back on the Israel and Spain Pavilion because I've got a 1981 issue of the Epcot Construction News where it announces there's a design agreement for in place for both Spain and Morocco Mm -hmm. uh, for pavilions going to be built around World Showcase Lagoon. Mm -hmm. Construction obviously happens from Morocco, but Spain gets derailed. And then Walt Disney Production issues a press release on November 10th, 1981. Disney's trying to keep the investment community on board with Epcot. Because they're spending so much money on it. They need they need the investment community to uh, understand that the stock price, while it's low, will go up once Epcot opens. By 1983, for three consecutive years, Disney had had to post losses. So as you mentioned, you know, they're, they're like, look, hey, by the way, have we mentioned there's going to be a phase two of Epcot? And that's when, along World Showcase, we're going to build Venezuela and the state of Israel and equatorial Africa. Of course, phase two gets derailed. And in fact, it's interesting that Kalbergening is is talking in June of 83 about what they're going to do, because at this point, they're getting what they wanted out of Epcot in that people are extending their Disney World vacations by a day or so, which means additional on-site food sales and additional merch sales. But it's overcoming the fact that a project that was budgeted initially for $4 million, wound up costing the company $1.2 billion. Mm. They just were never able to really mitigate that. And that's what sets the stage for green mailers like Saul Steinberg and Ivan Boski to sweep in and threaten the company, which in turn is well led to the management change. Yeah, that's how we ended up with Eisner. That's true. That's true. And to bring it full circle here, you know, it's, it's Michael going to the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas and going, this is what we should be doing with Communicore, and that's how we end up with intervention. That's a great look back, though, Jim, at, uh, at Communicore. There's a part of me that right now would really love to go back to experience what John Hench described as the future present to see how much of that stuff did, in fact, make it in, into our daily lives. There were a ton of things that were supposed to be in Communicore, too. So you talked briefly about the audio adventure maze thing, right, which mm-hmm. ended up in the studios. But mm-hmm. there would have been like there was there were other unbuilt things that they that were proposed like Home of the Future, which mm-hmm. is an idea that Disney returns to, but basically mm-hmm. once a decade, right? Mm-hmm. 
which brings us back to story living, which <laughs> stay inside the house. You don't want to go out into the 120 degree temperature because I, I think the lake evaporated, but, but have a good time. <laughs> That's true. I mean, evaporation off that lake would probably be a thing, uh, especially when it, if it gets uh, cooler. Yeah. Really? Really? That's so. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the Disney Dish show today. Please head on over to DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes, including the second half of our story on Disneyland's Flying Saucers. On next week's show, Jim tells us how Disney pulled off the 24-hour Leap Day event called One More Disney Day on February 29th, 2012. And the show after that, on March 7th, Christina and I review the Galactic Star Cruiser. Set your calendars now, kids. <laughs> You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, lenatturingplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who will be sharing his recipe for strawberry cinnamon rolls with lemon cream cheese icing at the 13th annual South Carolina Strawberry Festival starting Friday, April 29th at the Gateway Canteen on Lake Hagler Drive in beautiful downtown Fort Mill, South Carolina. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.